Before I start this special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast, just a quick note of thanks to the photographer who took the photograph, which adorns the cover art of the pod. It was Sora Shimasaki at Pexels. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast where we look at the research paper which was recently published on the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill 2223. The bill is part of the process which started with the Economic Crime Transparency and Enforcement Act 2022. Now you'll recall this is the bill which was incredibly hastily passed through Parliament in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Well, this new bill seeks to build on the start which was made by the 2022 Act by seeking to embolden the framework in which financial crime is countered and fought. The stated objectives of the bill are typically broad, to prevent organised criminals, fraudsters, kleptocrats and terrorists from using companies and other corporate entities to abuse the UK's open economy, to strengthen the UK's broader response to economic crime, and support enterprise by enabling Companies House to deliver deliver a better service for over 4 million UK companies and improving the reliability of its data to inform business transactions and lending decisions across the economy. The bill is in five key parts, and what I propose to do is just look at some of the key provisions of the bill, which are, frankly, they're beautifully highlighted in the report itself or the research paper itself. So, as I said, the bill is in five main parts. Part one of the bill is concerned with reform to Companies House, which is the UK corporate registrar. Companies House deals with incorporation and dissolution of limited companies. It also examines company information submitted to it and maintains the publicly available register. And many a happy hour can be spent on the register of Companies House just searching for people. A lot of fun can be had. Importantly, And as the research paper reminds us, it's not a regulator. Regulation is done elsewhere. While the the proposals don't acutely alter that position, there are nevertheless significant changes which are made, the key ones of which are provided uh, in the bill. Before I list the key provisions, it's worth reminding that this is part of an amplification of the role of a company's house. As we saw in the special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, which I published when the Register of Overseas Entities came into operation, Companies House has a crucial role to play in that register. You can go back and have a listen to that if you'd like to do so. Anyway, to the changes. The changes are quite broad relating to Companies House. So first of all, requiring companies to have their registered office at a place where it can acknowledge and receive documents, as opposed to, I suppose, some kind of obscure PO box. Secondly, requiring all directors, people with significant control, that is, the beneficial owners of the company, and those delivering documents to have their identities verified. Abolishing the requirement for companies to maintain their own registers of directors, directors' residential addresses, secretaries, and people with significant control. That will now certainly certainly will be when the bill is passed, that will be held 
centrally only, which seems a sensible uh, approach to that kind of information. Requiring all companies to file a profit and loss account showing their turnover and profit. Currently, most companies are exempt from this requirement by virtue of being classified as small. And there was a proposal I seem to remember a few weeks ago to redefine what amounts to a small business. And that might run contrary to this, although that seems to have been shelved. They've stopped talking about that, or maybe maybe they've stopped talking about it because there's so much else the government has done, the new government has done in the UK in that time since that announcement was made. The bill also proposes to give the registrar greater powers to share information and reject documents with inaccuracies within them. The sharing of information is a persistent theme in financial crime. It was raised uh, variously by the UN, which we reported about in some of the earlier editions of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. It's reported on, I think, also by the IMF, but also it's something which has been flagged by the review of the money laundering legislation in the UK by the British government. It's concerned to see that information is shared more broadly to ensure that the fight against financial crime is a consistent one and one which ensures that any possible opportunities to share information which might provide an opportunity to counter all forms of financial crime has got to be a good thing. In fact, within this bill, as you'll see later, there are proposals to broaden confidentiality, although that is something I've previously looked at in an edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. I'll say more about that shortly. Also gives the registrar powers to remove information about dissolved companies from public inspection after 20 years. So those changes all seem very sensible. They don't radically give Companies House the power of a regulator, but they do broaden its responsibilities, I suppose would be a good way of putting it. Part two of the bill is concerned with limited partnerships. The changes which are made are proposed under the bill to improve transparency. LPs, that is limited partnerships, differ from LLPs. There is a bit of confusion around that, which are regulated in a manner similar to companies. The changes in this bill are designed to make changes to LPs only, that is limited partnerships only, not limited liability partnerships. The changes are uh, to seek more information about partners at the point of registration and require this to be submitted by authorised corporate service providers who are supervised for anti-money laundering purposes. They're going to require limited partnerships to maintain a firmer connection to the part of the UK where they're registered by maintaining a registered office there. They're going to require all limited partnerships to update the register of changes and submit annual statements confirming that information held about them is correct, which, of course, companies would do as a matter of course every year in their annual return. Enable the registrar to deregister limited partnerships that are dissolved or no longer carrying on business and enforce sanction for sanctions for various breaches of the above requirements against partners. The changes will, it's planned, certainly those changes that I've just read out, bring the obligations imposed on limited partnerships with respect to reporting closer to those which are currently applied in relation to companies. Part three of the bill, I don't 
plan to say too much about. Part 3 of the bill relates to the register of overseas entities. As I said earlier, I did a special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast when the register of overseas entities came into force on the 1st of August 2022, and you can go back and listen to that if you wish to do so. This part of the bill, that is part three of the bill, proposes further, albeit minor, changes to the register, simply because there are so many changes made to Companies House in part one of this bill that it's felt that changes would also need to be made to the register, and the changes really reflect that. So they're not necessarily substantive changes to the register of overseas entities, they're really changes to reflect the changes that are made in part one of this bill. So they're really concerned with alignment of the company's house changes in part one of the bill so as to ensure consistency between the operation of the register and the updated act when it does come into force. Part four of the bill certainly, by comparison to part three, makes some significant changes by amending the Proceeds of Crime Act 2002 so that it extends criminal and asset recovery powers to crypto assets. As I've reported fairly frequently and fairly consistently, I suppose, on the Financial Crime Weekly podcast over the last few months, crypto assets have moved sharply into focus, uh, into the focus of policymakers because of the threat which they pose as a potential source of money laundering. This is happening in the uh, the US, the EU, and it's also happening at uh, other pan-national levels. The changes which are proposed under this bill would remove the requirement in certain circumstances that a person must have been arrested before assets can be seized. They'd make changes to the search, seizure and detention powers to make clear how they apply to crypto asset wallets. They provide magistrates courts with powers to deal with crypto assets and they provide for the destruction of crypto assets in certain circumstances. In relation to civil recovery, The changes would give law enforcement search and seizure powers in relation to crypto assets, enable law enforcement to recover crypto assets from third-party holders, uh, provide for the freezing of crypto asset wallets, and enable crypto assets to be converted into cash or destroyed in certain circumstances. And finally, Part 5 of the bill makes a number of changes to money laundering and terrorist financing and, in fact, to the regulation of legal services. Now, that there are many changes here, and frankly, I've mentioned a lot of these changes in the Financial Crime Weekly podcast over the many, many months. The changes will create new exemptions from money laundering offences to reduce reporting by businesses carrying out transactions on behalf of clients in certain circumstances. This is something which has been on the policy agenda for some time, especially given the concerns persistently voiced by market participants concerning the costs generated by uh, suspicious activity reports, for example. The government has gone on record, again fairly consistently over the last few months, which we variously reported on the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, committing themselves to reform SARS, perhaps recognising the inefficiencies in the system as it is currently framed. The proposals in Part 5 will also provide law enforcement with new powers to obtain information relating to money laundering and terrorist financing. Again, this is something which we have trailed on the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. In fact, 
Like the issue relating to SARS, it's something which was flagged in the impact assessment on the Money Laundering Regulations 2022, which was published in July of this year, and which, as luck would have it, was also the subject of a special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. You can go back and have a listen to that if you'd like to do so. While that special related to a slightly different context, the recognition of the importance of information gathering is further significant for the high state uh, the high status, I think, afforded to this element of policy. The proposals in Part 5 will also enable certain businesses to share information about economic crime without breaching confidentiality rules. Again, this is something which I flagged in previous editions of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. It's an important qualification allowing exemption from statutory and other obligations, mostly common law obligations, or indeed they could be contractual obligations, I suppose, freely created, relating to the imposition of confidentiality. Now, this next one is again something I've flagged in recent weeks, and it's the removal of the £25,000 cap on the Solicitor's Regulation Authority's powers to impose penalties for economic crime disciplinary matters. I covered it specifically in episode 26 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast because I reported on the president of the Law Society who expressed concern about the removal of the £25,000 cap, while I did not especially expect the government to listen to a complaint from the Law Society, I maintained that the broadened power is only really likely to be used in the most extreme cases. Finally, a couple of things. Adding the Part 5 will add a regulatory objective for legal services regulators to uphold the economic crime agenda, and they will expand the Serious Fraud Office's pre-investigation stage powers to all SFO cases. As to the bill, well, it was introduced in the Commons on the 22nd of September 2022 and received its second reading yesterday, that is, Thursday the 13th of October. Looks like it is on track to be law by next year, uh, though there is no precise timescale, even though the bill has broad backing in the Commons. Now, that's it for this brief special of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast in which I wanted to flag the key provisions of the Economic Crime and Transparency Bill 2022-23. Back on Sunday with the usual roundup of all things financial crime, and if what I've been reading this week is anything to go by, it should be a bumper edition. See you then.